0: As we begin this morning, I'm going to begin as we continue this morning, I want you to uh, uh, pay attention to two passages in Scripture, uh, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 18, uh, verses uh, 15 to 22, and then in the New Testament, uh, Acts chapter 3, uh, beginning around verses uh, 11 or 12, and going about 10 or 12 verses beyond that. These two passages are, are connected. And so I'll pray, and then we'll read them, and then uh, we'll begin in terms of the message this morning. So let's pray. Our God and Father, thank you. Uh, Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for giving us ultimately the things which we actually need. And we pray that we might listen to you we might listen to your voice as it comes to us in scripture. That we might find your word speaking to us of Christ, all that you've done for us in him. And we pray that we might desire to know Jesus more, more deeply, to depend upon him, and Lord, to find in him not only everlasting life, but that which gives our lives here and now uh, their meaning and purpose. We pray this so that we might be lights to this world. We pray that we might be salt to this world. We pray that we might be people who actually have answers with respect to people who suffer, who are troubled, who have difficulty finding their way. Help us, Lord, to be those who And point the way, and point the way to Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Now this first scripture passage, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 22, comes in the latter part, the very last part, the last few weeks or so of the Israelites and they're they're wandering in the wilderness. Uh, Now they're moving up uh, on the eastern side of the Jordan Valley. Uh, Now they're moving up uh, to begin the point where they're going to cross the Jordan River and to take the land of Canaan that God has given to them. These are, as it were, the final words of Moses, the final words of God through Moses to the people of Israel. So. God has spoken to Moses, and Moses then speaks to the people with these words. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. And it is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I've not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you see in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Then Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. Now, this is the situation where the lame man is actually healed by Peter and John. This is after the resurrection, it's after the day of Pentecost. Peter and John are preaching in the temple courts and this man is healed in the name of Christ. And so as we read verse 11, the he refers to the, lep, the lame man who is now healed clinging to Peter and John. And he clung to Peter and John and all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel... Why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. In his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is in through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoring of all things about which God spoke By the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father Abraham, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. Now, um, lately in the Christian celebrity world, not a world I'm personally acquainted with, (laughs) but in the Christian celebrity world, there have been an astounding number of men in particular, but also women, who have apostatized, that is to say, who have fallen away from the faith, and then who have taken to their social media platforms and proclaimed their falling away from the faith in, in loud and loud in no uncertain terms. Um, this has happened with preachers, it's happened with celebrity teachers, it's happened with worship leaders, it's happened with uh, those involved in the contemporary music situation. Now, <clears throat> some of you are aware of this? Are you, are you knowing that this is happening? You could be like me. Uh, you really wouldn't know these things except that you have a social media officiato at home who points me <laughs> to those things all the time. You need to look at your Facebook. You need to see this post. You need to see what I sent you. Uh, that's the only way I would be aware of the world that's going on around me, <laughs> quite frankly. Now, so this has been happening, and then a member of that cadre of celebrities who hasn't fallen away, has spoken about it and it's that particular post that took place on Facebook that Julie alerted me to. His name is John Cooper. He's the lead singer for a Christian rock band known as Skillet. I assume out there somewhere there's also a Christian rock band known as Spatula. I don't know. But but this fellow, apparently Skillet's been around for a very, very long time. Uh, my son Bobby, who graduated from high school uh, almost twenty years, fifteen to twenty years ago now, said that Skillet played at his Christian high school in St. Louis years and years and years ago. So the, the lead, the lead singer or writer or the group leader of the band, Skillet, he responded to this this litany of recent apostasies in a Facebook post entitled What in God's Name is Happening in Christianity? So this was posted just a week or so ago. He specifically was addressing the main songwriter and leader of the group Christian group Hillsong, um, Marty Sampson, who has recently renounced his Christian faith. So this is one Christian celebrity addressing this problem among the celebrity Christian culture. He states the problem and then he also states what he sees to be the solution. That is, why are these people falling away from the faith and what would have kept them from falling away from the faith? His conclusion is this. This was, I thought, very insightful. The church must stop making worship leaders and Thought leaders and influencers and cool people or relevant people, the most influential people in Christendom. In other words, the church is in a dangerous place when it is looking to 20-year-old worship song leaders as the source of truth. He identifies the central problem this way, that the church culture learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teachings of the Word. But, he says, singers are not always the best people to write solid biblical truth and doctrine. Sometimes they are too young, too ignorant of Scripture, too unaware, too unconcerned about the purity of Scripture and the holiness of God. And then he says, and do such songwriters ever consider the disrespect of, of singing songs about God that are untrue to God's character. In a nutshell, Cooper's saying something like this. These Christian celebrities have privileged their own feelings and emotions and ideas about God over the Word of God. They've essentially preached to God, they've taught a God, they've sung about a God grounded in their own feelings about God as if their own experiences of God was the absolute basis of truth about God. Instead of measuring their experiences by the Word of God, he says, they've measured God's Word against their experiences. And they've made their own hearts, their own inner sense of inner authenticity, the absolutely new source of absolute truth that they're following. So Cooper also makes this observation. While rejecting Jesus as the absolute king over their lives, they're continuing to tell people that these people ought to forgive each other and they ought to love one another, they ought to be kind to each other, and they ought to serve others. They want people to do the things that Jesus said to do but without the Jesus who said them. They want to treat the ethics of Jesus as authoritative while rejecting the authority of Jesus himself. Now, although this is kind of a new thing happening in our own small era of contemporary history, this is not a new thing to Christianity or to the Bible at all. It's a repetition of the pattern that began in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve privileged their own heart, their own thoughts, their own experiences with respect to the Word of God, when they privileged themselves as that which would interpret God's Word as opposed to actually obeying God's Word. They obeyed their own hearts. They did not obey the Word that God had spoken to them. Now, in a nutshell, this is the essential problem with the human condition. Uh, All throughout Scripture, God's redemptive purposes and God's redemptive revelation has addressed this again and again and again. What do you trust? Who do you trust? Why do you trust? It's always been about whether you're going to trust yourself and your own hearts and your own understanding of things or whether you're going to trust the word that God has spoken. It can be stated this way in terms of the message this morning, a kind of a problem and a solution. The problem is basically this, that when when people fall away from the Christian faith, they don't fall away in order to follow some greater way of holiness or to follow some more powerful way of serving and caring other for other human beings. Rather, people fall away from the faith to escape the authority of Christ over their lives. And the answer comes down to this. The answer is we must listen to Christ. Uh, we must listen to Jesus, and we must be in obedience to Jesus as he speaks to us in the scriptures. That's the very foundation for our lives as believers. The problem is, people listen not to the word of God, but to their own hearts. The answer is, we need to make sure that our hearts are turned in submission toward God and God's word as it's revealed to us in Christ. Now, this passage in Deuteronomy and the passage in Acts speak to these particular issues. It does so by telling us what God was doing, the last message that God has to Moses about what's going to happen and what's going to come. And so in the Deuteronomy passage, then also with with the Acts passage, we're going to see, first of all, that Moses is actually going to be uh, prophesying about prophecy. He's going to be giving us sort of a big picture of what's going to happen in the history of Israel. Secondly, Moses is going to be prophesying or speaking about himself and about the future of someone who's going to be like him. And then the New Testament passage in Acts, we have the confirmation from Peter that all of this is actually fulfilled in Christ himself. So I want us to look then at what Moses prophesies about prophecy. And that is sort of the big picture of what's actually going to happen in the Old Testament. So Moses says... In verses 20 and 22 uh, that the people of Israel, beyond his own life, are going to have prophets that they're supposed to listen to. Uh, the reality is that what has happened with Moses as a prophet, that's going to continue for the history of Israel. There's going to be other prophets that are going to come. And then God says through Moses, and here is specifically how you need to understand those who would presume to come and speak in my name. So it says, first of all, that, this is verses 20 to 22, if you notice, the job of a prophet is going to be that of speaking in the name of God, specifically what God has commanded him to say. All right? So this is going to be God to that prophet's mouth, that prophet's mouth to the people, that kind of thing. Secondly, his job is to speak only in the name of God and only what God has truly commanded him to speak, which is to say that if he speaks anything that God has not commanded him to speak, that is, if he makes something up out of his own heart and says, well, the Lord told me to tell you this, if he makes that kind of a claim coming out of his own heart, well, the penalty is pretty severe. He's supposed to die. That is to say, the people of Israel were to look at such a false prophet and actually put him to death. Uh, But also, if he comes and he speaks in the name of another God, I know that you want me to speak in the name of Jehovah or the name of Yahweh or the name of Jesus. But I have someone else I'm going to speak. No, that person, likewise, is supposed to die. So then, the test of a prophet, people are going to say, "Well, how do we know for sure this person's a prophet?" Verse 21. How do we know? Verse 22. The true prophet is going to be infallible. what he says will come to pass. His prophecy will be true. What he says is going to happen. Therefore, a true prophet doesn't make a mistake. Doesn't make a mistake about doctrine and teaching. Doesn't make a mistake about history as he predicts what's going to happen. He is infallible. Now, there are several deep truths that come out of Deuteronomy 18 that some of the best theologians in Christian history have testified to. uh, Essentially saying, look, this is the foundation for the Christian faith. Uh, The foundation is to be understood this way. God isn't a silent God, which is to say, God has actually spoken. God has truly spoken in human history. Now, the Christian faith... stands or falls on the basis of this. If God has spoken, we need to hear that. We need to listen to it. If God hasn't spoken, then your religious thoughts are just as good as my religious thoughts, even if they're 180 degrees different. Because if God hasn't really spoken, who can prove that my religious thinking is better than your religious thinking? Right? How can you decide between uh, the voice of. If God hasn't spoken, if His voice isn't something that we can identify, then everybody can be His own prophet. And everyone can have His own religion. And it doesn't matter how much they contradict one another, it just doesn't matter which is the same way as saying when everybody can be true about their religion. That's logically equivalent to nobody's true. If everybody's right, it also means that nobody's right because you now no longer have a standard of right and wrong. You don't have a standard of what's true and what isn't true. If you allow things to stand as contradictions, then, in fact, nobody can be right, but then nobody can be wrong. The second thing coming out of this passage is that God has specifically spoken through his chosen mouthpieces. Moses is telling the people of God, where do you look in order to find this infallible word of God? Well, the first place is in the written word. In Deuteronomy 8.3, uh, which we looked at before, uh, the word says this, but man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, this word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, Moses was writing it down so that the word of God was spoken and then immediately became written. Now, how do we know this? Because just a few weeks later, after this passage, Joshua is the leader of the people of Israel. And in Joshua chapter 1, God reveals to, Mo, to, to Joshua an important perspective on going in to conquer the promised land. This is what God says to Joshua. Joshua 1, verses 7 and 8. He says to Joshua, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to the right or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. Now notice what, I, what Moses has spoken, what I've spoken through Moses. Now notice verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. So God's spoken word has already become God's written word. And that's the way it is throughout the entire Old Testament. When you have the prophets prophesying, they write down what God speaks through them so that the spoken voice of God becomes the written voice of God almost immediately. And so, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. So whenever you understand the concept of the Word of God as the voice of God in Scripture, you need to know it's also equivalent to the Word of God as the written Word of God in Scripture, all the way through the Old Testament. Then secondly, where are the Israelites to look? Not just the written word, but they're also to look to the prophets. God is going to send them a whole bunch of prophets really over the next thousand years. Peter refers to this in Acts chapter 3, verse 24, when he says, Samuel and all of the Old Testament prophets prophesied about that day, the day that Jesus comes. The prophets wrote down what God had spoken to them their words from God became part of the written word of God. And so in the prophetic word of God, we find where God has spoken. But then thirdly, to complete the big picture, uh, Moses is being told God is specifically going to speak, finally, in that prophet that's like unto him, the prophet who is like Moses. And of course, that's Christ. That's the very word of God made flesh. And let me know that Jesus commissioned his own apostles to carefully record and remember everything that he had spoken to them. The Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. So the apostles were commissioned by Jesus to record and write down and teach everything which he had taught to them. Now, summing up, that's the big picture that Moses is speaking about. The big picture about prophecy. It's God has spoken, God isn't silent, and this whole succession of prophets have written down what God has communicated to his people. Now, moving from the big picture then to the more specific picture, again, back in Deuteronomy, verses 18 to 22. 15 to 22. We have the specifics of Moses' own ministry and then the prophecy about a future ministry that's likened to Moses. So in verse 15, you see verse 15 teaching this, that God will raise up a prophet like Moses. Now what does that mean, a prophet like Moses? Well, there's two very specific ideas attached to the prophet like Moses. First of all, Moses has a significance to to all of the history of Israel that no other prophet has. That is to say, he has a relationship with God that none of the other prophets that come after him, from Samuel to Malachi, ever have anything like this relationship that Moses has with God. This is specifically stated in Numbers chapter 12. There's a situation there where Moses and his older sister and his older brother have a kind of falling out. The older sister, firstborn, firstborns are always this way, and then the older brother, older brothers always look a little bit down on their younger brother, the runt. They have this kind of inner family kind of conflict where they're basically saying, has God only spoken to Moses? You know, why does Moses think he's the most important person? We're just as important as he is. That was basically the conflict. So God addresses Miriam and Aaron. He does so, chapter 12, Numbers 5 through 9. And the Lord came down on a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. This is their comeuppance. This is God addressing them this way. He said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, some translations face to face, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Now, two consequences. Miriam leaves the presence of God stricken with leprosy. Aaron is denied permission to go into the Promised Land. Severe consequences for challenging Moses. Moses is who Moses is by God's design of who Moses is. Moses is unique among all the prophets because he and he alone is the one that God is going to speak to -to face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth in this way. So, a prophet like unto Moses has to be like unto Moses in that regard. But there's a second way in which Moses stands as incredibly significant, incredibly important, so different than all the other prophets. Because Moses is the prophet who is the head of all the prophets, Every other prophet recognizes that Moses, and anything they teach and prophesy, everything they say has to be consistent with everything that Moses has said. The word of Moses is their standard for every other prophet and every other prophecy that ever happens. It all must stand under the law of God, the law given through Moses. But there's something else about Moses. Do you realize that Moses is the one through whom God established the tabernacle, and the priesthood, and the sacrifices. God, through Moses, gave to the people of Israel all of their principles and all of their practices for divine worship. If you didn't do it the way God had revealed through Moses, uh, like if you offer strange fire or strange incense before the Lord, uh, there was a death penalty associated with it. The word of Moses was used to establish all of the tabernacle, priesthood, sacrificial system. If, if we could say anything, we can say Moses himself was the priest of all priests. But finally, Moses is also the lawgiver. Moses gives God's law. Moses is God's legislation and legislator. And since it's the law of God, it's the royal law of God, Moses, though he's never called a king, has all of the functions of a king with respect to Israel. There's no question about that. In fact, every other king of Israel must obey what in terms of being a king? The law of Moses. Now, do you see the pattern here? Moses fulfills the role and the calling of a prophet, the prophet preeminent. Moses fulfills the role of, as it were, the priest who's above all priests, in this sense. And Moses fulfills the role and function of a king. Now Moses isn't specifically called the the priest of God or the king but he fulfills those functions because these three functions become absolutely essential to the nature and identity of all that God does within Israel. The prophetic words, the priestly ministry that enables them to worship God and then also the kingly ministry of even God acting through the law of Moses over all of Israel. Prophet priest-king. So a prophet like Moses has to be one who has this relationship with God face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth. And he has to be one who also is just as significant to the people of God as Moses was in terms of the prophetic, priestly, and kingly roles. And of course, what do we read about the Lord Jesus in the New Testament? Prophet, priest, For a thousand years, you have the influence of Moses all the way from the time of the Exodus to the time of Malachi in terms of prophets. You have uh, the priesthood and the tabernacle and the the sacrifices all the way from Moses till the time of Jesus. And then you have uh, the kingly thing happening all the way until, well, they sort of lose kingly rule over uh, Israel at about the 5th century. But... The Davidic dynasty, the time of David, the time of the king, it's all there in the Old Testament. Moses has this supreme influence over all of this. So the one that Moses speaks of must be one who's going to have this mouth-to-mouth, face-to-face communication with God. But he must also be one who fulfills and who's going to be as significant to Israel as Moses. Moses was in terms of prophet, priest, and king. Now when we come to Acts chapter 3, after the crucifixion of Jesus, after his resurrection, after the day of Pentecost, uh, this is sort of the second main preaching ministry of the Apostle Peter. Uh, In what he says in these verses, we see that all of this is fulfilled in Christ. The prophet who comes after Moses. The prophet who's going to be like Moses is fulfilled in Christ. That's the main point of the message that Peter preaches. Now first, recognize something about this passage in the New Testament. Everyone in Israel knew that the prophet like unto Moses had not yet come. In fact, the days of John the Baptist, they say to John the Baptist, hey, are you Elijah or are you the prophet? He did not, no, I'm not Elijah. No, not literally wasn't Elijah. The spirit of Elijah was not Elijah, literally. And especially he wasn't the prophet who was to come. Uh, the time that Jesus feeds the 5,000 in John chapter 6, verse 14, they come to take him king because they think he is the prophet who is to come into the world. So there's all this expectation that this prophet has not yet come. But when Jesus arrives on the scene, he begins to raise all these questions. Could he be the one? Could he be the one? Could he be the one? So so that is the background that Peter preaches. Uh, Peter basically says, yes, Christ is the fulfillment. Christ, verse 22, he quotes, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like your brother's from like me, from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. And all the prophets have spoken about this from Samuel and those who came after him. They have all proclaimed these days. So Peter's saying two things, but let me reverse the order. He says that all the prophets have prophesied About Christ. Now that's our theme this year in terms of preaching. That all of the Old Testament bears witness to Jesus Christ. And Peter is saying this: all of the prophets, Moses, Samuel, they have all spoken about Christ and these days. So Christ is the central message of Old Testament uh, revelation and Old Testament prophecy. But secondly, pointing to the fact that Jesus is that great prophet who's like Moses. By the time that Jesus comes it was pretty much assumed by the people of Israel that the prophet spoken of by Moses the prophet like unto him would be the Messiah. That he would be the hope of Israel. And so Jesus is the great prophet like unto Moses. He is the Christ He must be listened to. And if we're reading what Peter says, whoever doesn't listen to Christ is going to be destroyed. So Peter says this after pointing to the fact that the prophets said that Jesus would suffer. Jesus did suffer. He suffered and died upon the cross. And it's in the preaching of his name that there's going to be forgiveness of sins. Even though you kill the author of life, God has raised from the dead the author of life to grant forgiveness of sins in his name by faith in his name. That's the message. But when Peter gives this message, listen carefully. Very different than religious messages today. Peter doesn't say, here's what we think. We think this might help you. Take it or leave it. Peter says to the people of Israel, This is the very one, Jesus is the very one Moses spoke about. And Moses said, you had better listen to him or you will be destroyed. And that's what Peter is saying. It's not take it or leave it. Every person who doesn't listen to Christ, who does not submit to the authority of Christ, that person will find himself destroyed. Now, personal application for Christians. Christ is the final word of God. Uh, That's the beginning of the book of Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Christ is the final word of God, because he is the prophet like unto Moses. To look outside of Scripture, though, to find Christ, is to not find Christ at all. That's what has to be understood. We find Christ by looking to the very Scriptures which God himself authenticated through all of his prophets and by Jesus himself. So we need to take to heart what Jesus himself said about this in Matthew chapter 7. End of the Sermon on the Mount, which everyone says, greatest sermon ever preached. Greatest sermon ever not obeyed. Greatest sermon ever not followed. Greatest sermon ever not believed. Because listen what Jesus says at the end of that sermon. Verse 24. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall. Because it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rains came. The rains fell, the flood came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus is saying, no uncertain terms, this isn't me saying this, this is Jesus saying this. If we fail to listen to him and really obey him, if we fail to build our lives based upon what he himself has said, then we're going to find Our lives destroyed. Now, back to where we started. Uh, This song leader for Skillet, that sounds so strange. This song leader of Skillet, John Cooper, this is what he says It is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the word and to value the teaching of the word. We need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion. And what we're seeing now is the results, the result in the church raising up influencers who did not supremely value truth, who have led a generation, who've also not believed in the supremacy of truth. And now those disavowed leaders are still proudly... Proclaiming and influencing people away from the truth. Is it any wonder that some of our avowed Christian leaders are letting go of the absolute truth of the Bible and subsequently their lives are falling apart? Further and further, they're sinking into the sea while all the time they're shouting, Now I've found the truth. Follow me. Brothers and sisters, Cooper goes on to say, Brothers and sisters in the faith all around the world, pastors, teachers, worship leaders, influencers, I implore you, please, please, in your search for relevancy for the gospel, let us not find creative ways to shape God's word into the image of our culture by stifling inconvenient truths, but rather let us hold on even tighter to the anchor of the living word of God, for he changes not. And then he quotes scripture. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. And to that we should all say, amen. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, remind us through, through the scriptures, through your spirit speaking through the scriptures, as they testify of Christ, that Jesus and his word is our anchor in terms of all that is right and good and true. And if we're not listening to Jesus in the scriptures, then in some way we're listening to our own hearts. Father, help us never to privilege our own heart as being the ultimate authority over our lives because that's the way of disaster. But help us to trust in you, Lord, with our whole hearts. Help us not to lean on our own understanding. Help us in all of our ways to acknowledge you as we read of you in Scripture in order that you would faithfully direct our paths. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.